Hey everyone, this is Pastor Stephen. I wanted to thank you for checking out our podcast, and we hope that this message encourages you and helps you in your pursuit to live for Christ with everything you have. We hope you enjoy the message. But that being said, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Are you happy to be here? Are you excited to be here? Are you ready to hear something that might offend you? Okay, I like that. At least you know what's coming. Because if you've been in the, the church in the last five weeks, I think we finally got out of James chapter 1 last week and we got into James chapter 2. And guess what? We're still looking at a study into James chapter 2 still this morning. But before I can get into this, 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 this sermon, I need to tell you a story. This is an older story, but it's an impactful story. You see, I, I remember years ago, I heard this story about this young, or not, he was an older man, sitting on top of a roof because his house was being inundated with a flood. He stood up there and he started going, I don't know what to do. So he starts praying. He says, Lord, if you will, just save me. And as he was sitting on the roof and the rain was drenching him and he had uncertainty, a guy came in a rowboat. And he says, hey, I got this rowboat. You want to come in? I'll get you to dry ground. And he looked at the guy in the rowboat. He says, no, no, no. I prayed. I believe that God is going to rescue me. So the guy in the rowboat said, okay, see you later. Rose off. A short time later, a guy in a motorboat comes in. And he says, hey, I got this really cool motorboat. You can get in. You'll be safe. I promise everything's going to be great. And he looked at him and he says, you know what? I've been praying. I'm believing that my God himself is going to come and save me. So the guy on the boat says, okay, I got others I can help out, so I'll go help them. And he goes off in his boat. A little time later, a guy in a helicopter from the Coast Guard gets overhead, and he starts yelling in his horn, hey, grab the rope, we'll pull you to safety. And he starts looking up at the guy in the helicopter, and he says, no! I've been praying. I believe that God is going to do something to save So the helicopter pilot, knowing that he can't waste too much time trying to coerce this man to get on the rope, flies away. Eventually, the storm keeps picking up. The waters rise over the rooftop, and the man drowns. And then when he gets up to the heaven, and he, he starts getting in a conversation, he says, God... I prayed. I asked that you would save me. Where were you? And God looked at him and he says, I sent the man in the rowboat. I sent the man in the motorboat. I sent the man on the helicopter trying to get you off the rooftop. What more could I do? See, that story is a great illustration of what we have to kind of divulge into. Because sometimes we get ourselves into these mannerisms and these ideals that are limited by what we expect to happen. See, the story really shows the struggle that humanity has. And this, this thing is where we lose this thing called faith. And we start thinking things have to go in a particular order. 
I think that is particularly why that when you look at the studies, they show that the attendance within the church and the American church that believe in God is 81%. And if you get even closer, you look at the ones that are going to church that say they believe in God and only 33% actually actively attend church once a month. Get a little bit closer, 17% of those that actually attend once a month attend actually weekly. And those numbers are getting to the point that the situation of where do we trust God and how deep do we work with Him on it. You see, as humans, we struggle to understand the connection with God and, and, and the writings that James is trying to write through. But this morning, I want to dig into it a little bit. And I want to look at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open them. If you have your tablet, phone, PC, whatever you brought, if you actually brought a PC in here and have to turn it on and you have to hit the button and wait for Windows to load, we'll wait. Brother Chip, you ready? Okay. But if not, we have it on the screen as well. And James is writing to the church and he says, What is good, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warm and be filled, without giving them the things that are needed for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We'll stop right there, Yetta. Can I just say right now that, that that scripture messes me up continually. Because it makes me measure out and weigh out what it is that God is truly asking of each and every one of us. Because... I listen to a lot of various ministry preachers, speakers, and all these things just because I want to have things going into different perspectives of thought that I might not have because you know my brain, when I talk to myself, it sounds good. But it isn't always right. So I've learned to listen to other preachers. I learned to listen to their perspectives and what God is speaking to them or, or what they think that God is speaking to them. I have to highlight that. And then I get into my word and I start asking God, what is it that they're speaking? Is it true or is it not? And, and, and one of the things that I always go back into is this scripture. Because I've heard a lot of people get up into the church more and more recently in the current times that we're in. And tell you it's okay just to come to church and believe in Jesus Christ alone. And that's where it stops. Yes, Lord, help us. It cannot be that point. Because if it's that point, then why is James, the brother of Jesus, writing to a church that has got all these dysfunctions. And that he's trying to caress back into the true body of believing Christians that they need to and are called to be. And he says, hey, you can't just walk around with a necklace on saying I'm a Christian. 
and think that you're all all right. Because what he's really saying is if you have faith, it's great. But if it's got nothing behind it, then it's truly worthless. It's truly worthless. But continuing on, James goes on a little deeper and he says, but when someone will say, I have faith and I have works, or you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying, I'll put my money where my mouth is. You believe that God is one, you do well. But even demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Uh, Was not Abraham the father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scriptures was fulfilled in Satan. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as this thing called righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Oh, I want to be called a friend of God. We all want to be called a friend of God. But he continues on a little bit further and he says, And you see that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You see, the same way was not also Rahab a prostitute justified by the works when she received the message and sent the men out another way. For uh, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also apart from works, or so also faith apart from works is dead. Father, you have been messing me up and given me 35 pages this week of notes. And then on top of that, yesterday, you gave me the nuggets and the wisdom I needed to add even more to the notes. But God, I ask that you give me the clarity and the conciseness, Lord, to not go long-winded. But Lord, Lord, let give me a, a message, Lord, that's so impactful that it transforms our understanding and our own self-reflections. Touch us, Lord. Touch me. Get me out of the way. And Holy Spirit, use my words. To give me what we need, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Can I just say, James's words really do sound a little harsh sometimes. But I think the harshness comes from the thing that's inside of us. The struggle. That, that, that thing that's in us that doesn't want to relent. That we, that we know that something's wrong within us. And so when he starts calling us out, we feel it. And it feels a little abrasive. But I think it's because the examination in our mirror that James is trying to get us to look at brings to light a lot of struggle. It's like being a kid. Not even a kid, a teenager. I remember being a teenage boy looking in the mirror, starting to find little red dots on my face and going, what is this on me, Mom? I think I got eaten up by bugs last night, Mom. And she said, no, honey. Welcome to puberty. And I said, what is that, Mom? And she says, honey, those are called pimples. And I said, what? 
And you know how the whole society's gotten. Back in the 90s, it was like the thing to give us this pimple cream stuff that would burn like everything else as you applied it, and it dried out every single sore on your face. But I think it's true. Sometimes we don't like to apply the word and let it be the anesthetic that cleans out the junk in our lives to allow us to see where we need to go. Let me tell you right now, the message that is titled this morning is Dead to Work. I don't tell you the titles. But it's not just dead to, T-O, it's dead T-W-O, work. And the reason why that is is because we have so much dead in our lives and in the churches today because people are not applying this anesthetic and applying what the Word is trying to root out within us. So that we could be obedient unto death to what God is trying to call us to be. You see, we're running this rat race And we don't even know where we're going and we're looking for the remedies of this whole struggle that we're going through. And we lose sight of our hope. That is why so often what we struggle with the most is this this discouragement in our lives. Because we live by this thing of work mentality. But we don't realize that the work mentality really truly means that work without a faith is running a rat race with no end. You see, what James is truly trying to highlight here is that there are three men that he's trying to portray. The first one he's portraying is the man that thinks that his works will get him into something. You know, we have a lot of world religions in this society that keep populating up in these different ideas and these different influences that say, if I'm a good person, I'll get to heaven. If I do enough good over my bad, then I will have great things in my life. If I can just do something that, that I think God will be pleased with, then I, then I will get God's favor. And the struggle that many people don't understand is that, that the works are not the ends or the meaning of the ends that you have. You see... The word is clear. Your works will never save you. They will never let you have that eternal barbecue in heaven where you think that you've arrived and you get the prize trophy that says, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you have done so much. If it has no faith in behind it. Your works mean absolutely bupkis with everything that you could do if you think that you're doing right and God's not behind you and God's not empowering you and doing all these things, you're doing the, 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 the worst idea of everything else in this world because what James was trying to say is for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, if we're not careful within it, if we're not letting the works be a part of the spirit, then we're doing it in a fatality where, where, where it's going to end up becoming the fatality of everything that you think you've accomplished. 
You see, I've seen a lot of people in the churches that think that they could do that same idea. I don't want to serve God. I want to just serve people. There have been preachers in the pulpit that were never called by God, never anointed by God, probably don't even serve God Monday through Saturday, but they get up in the pulpit but they, because they've read the word, they know what it means, and they've disseminated away in a place where they could go and say, I can pinpoint the spot where they'll give me an amen. Or I can look forward to the times that they'll just give me the pat on the back and say, your message was so great and intellectual. But let me say one thing. Those people are as lost and dead as every other thing in this world, every other demon in this world that does not realize that there is no power in your works alone. But there's another flip to the coin on that one. Because faithfulness without a work is merely just a thing called faith. No, that seems like an oxymoron in some ways. It seems so horrible. Because you're like, well, faithfulness and faith have to go together. Yes, they go together. But there's something that empowers faith that takes it beyond the measure of where you're at and allows you to go into something greater. You see, we live in a world where we struggle with the idea of the doctrine of solo fed, which is Latin, for by faith alone. Which is true. Your faith has the ability to unlock your salvation. If it was not so, Jesus would not have said it. He says, by your faith, if you believe that I've done everything, then you can get salvation. But there's something that needs to be unlocked even deeper if you want to really see the transformation that comes through it. You see, Jesus at Golgotha highlights the truth that by your faith you are saved. If you think about it, there were three crosses right there with Jesus. One with Jesus and two two, uh, thieves sitting or mounted on the other ones beside him. One mocked Jesus, the other one says, Jesus, would you forgive me so I can spend whatever you have with you? And Jesus says, I promise by the next day, you will be with me in eternity. I know. It's a powerful word. I love it. But when I look out at the crowd, you know what I don't see? I don't see you on your deathbed. When I look at each and every one of you in this place, you're not mounted to a cross knowing that your moments are marked and you have everything in there. So there's something even greater that James is trying to highlight and allude to. And that is the fact that there's something that has to empower you through this life besides just saying I have faith. My faith can save me because I can truly make that salvation call. I can remember the moment my grandma was dying on her deathbed because of the sickness. And I can remember knowing that she didn't ever go to church. And I can remember my mom saying, can you just pray with her? And I talked to her on the phone from a different state. And I said, Grandma, I don't know if you can hear me or not. But here's what I do know. I do know that if Jesus is going to get into your heart to get you into heaven, you need to say the prayer, whether it's in your mouth or giving you the clarity of your mind to do it right now. And I walked her through the prayer. And my mom said her breath 
eased with a confidence. She couldn't speak the words. But I know something transformed in her life. So I know that faith has the ability to transform it. But what James is trying to get at is if we're not on our deathbed, we need to let that faith have something within us to empower us to go forward. And that's what faithfulness is is in our lives that we have to connect with. Because what James is saying is if you believe in God as one, you are doing well. But if all you're doing is living your life, you're being like the demons that know that God is God and they are not. And yet they're still cursed to eternity of damnation. So why are we walking in the same mentality as the demons who know the truth? But we don't walk in the truth. Why are we walking in this idea that I'm saved all the time, but I'm not going to put any effort in behind it where we have to realize That the Christians in the church that do that are just like the people in the world who say, I've heard of who God is. I know who he is. I know the power that he can do in all of my lives. But where is the power that's coming through it? If you believe in God as one, you are doing well. But I don't want to be like a demon who knows the truth but never put the action behind it. Can I tell you something? I've lived my life long enough to know that I can figure out if you're a Christian or not by watching you. I've lived my life long enough to know that if you are walking with Jesus, there's a, there's a, there's a remnant and something in there that's changing your life. Because what James is really trying to say this morning, and what God is saying is, is when you have your faith and it's put into practice, what you see is the works that come through it. Another way of saying it is the fruit of the Spirit. Another way of saying it is what you're putting into practice. I'm sorry. When God came into my life, there was something that happened, and I can't stop talking about it. There's something that when he came into my life and he transformed me and said, by your faith you are saved. I said, okay, who am I going to tell next? When he saved me, when he saved you, what were you doing? What were your encouraging words? I don't know. Because what I've seen a lot of is people get saved. They get a little hype. They start doing the running dance thing. And then all of a sudden they get calmed down. And then they get a little calloused. And then they go and get their little seats. And they say, God, let me see what you're going to do now. God, it's raining. What you going to do now? God, where's that, where's that, where's that ultimate earthly heavenly rescue that I'm waiting for where, where, where I'm on this rooftop and all of a sudden you're not coming down and saving me personally. You see, the struggle that Christians have more and more in this society that we live in is that we want to put God and see Him do the miraculous. But we won't do our part.
We don't want to do the effort behind what God is trying to waken up within us. You see, James in 20, or verses 22 through 25 says, See the faith that was active within his works. His faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled by saying Abraham believed in God. And he counted it as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. And then he talks about how Rahab, the prostitute, heard the message. What was that message? It was the message that, that Israel was all on them. And that God had given them the victory. And they were all got their times numbered. And she said, God, if you'll save me, I'll save these men. And the agreement came. It was by her faith. In God and her works and her actions that she believed and was saved. How many of us struggle with that same mentality? We want the salvation, but we won't take the step forward. I've had a lot of people get into the pews and say, I want to be saved. But they don't know the next steps. So we try to lead them on the next steps and then it gets a little difficult and a little struggle. And they're like, I can't do this. It's like getting on a boat in the middle of an ocean and you're like, okay, am I going to fall in and get eaten by the sharks? You might be scared. The world wants to eat you up and tear you apart. But let me tell you, if God is with you, he's trying to give you the empowerment to get through it all. It's like when Abel, he was found faithful by God in Hebrews chapter 11 when he said he gave a more acceptable sacrifice because he loved God. Noah, oh, good old Noah, he trusted God's word, and he built an ark, even when it didn't rain, and he saved himself and his family and all of humanity. Abraham, in Hebrews chapter 11, 8, long before Isaac was a gleam in his eye, Heard a word from God saying, Abraham, I want you to go into a place you do not know. And trust me where you're going to go. And he said, okay. He left his mom and his dad and all of his cousins and his brothers. And he went off into a place he didn't know. And wandered and sojourned everywhere. Can I tell you it took faith the size of a mustard seed to take that first step. It took faith the size of a grapefruit to hit the next step. It took greater faith to keep walking in the journey and every aspect. But it was by his faithfulness and his desire to see what God was going to do, he wouldn't stop walking. Just like it was like David. Who saw God's provision and power and ability to rescue him out in the shepherd's field. That allowed him to get not bogged down by the self-doubt, and not doubt, bogged down by every other person in the Israeli army who was looking at a guy nine foot some inches tall saying, ha ha, your God is nothing. And David over here is like four foot five. And everybody's around him saying, oh, we're going to die. And something within David says, no. I've seen who my God is. I know the promises that he was going to do. I'm going to step up. 
I'm going to go get these stones. I'm going to go look at this guy who's taller than me, badder than me, carrying a greater sword than me. And I'm going to tell him, you're worthless because you're on the wrong team. You have no power, no ability to defeat me because the God that I serve is greater than everything else. He's the one that created it all. So why do you think you could win? See, that's faith in action. That's what faith is doing. It's like me and Melissa. We were getting called into the ministry. We knew we had to go out of our home country area of Middletown, Ohio, where our comfort was, where the good food was, Sister Amy. You know, I'm like that German food. We got called out of the, the comfort of having family around us. And we got thrown into a place that, that was like a desert for us, where it was burning hot all the time and sweat dripping in every place that you went to, every time you walked outside. But we knew that when God was speaking in our lives, he said Hebrews 11, 8. Hundreds and hundreds of people telling us Hebrews 11, 8. And I was like, God, what are you trying to speak to me? I don't want to go anywhere. And then I can remember so vividly, I can remember God saying, do you love me? I'm like, yeah, God, I love you. Do you trust me? Yeah, God, I trust you. Then go. And I looked at Melissa, I said, honey, I don't know what this is, but this is where God's saying that we need to go. So we went. And I trusted God even in that time. Just like I trust God being up here in northern Ohio where it's all Italian food, and I don't know which way I'm going half the time. But what I've learned is, James's words are right. Faith without the works behind me has nothing at all of value. If I'm not willing to be obedient to God, why do I think that he's going to call me righteous? See, faith will get you saved, but faith is not where you stop. Faith is where you keep going. Faith is where you put your muscle where your mouth is. Where you start letting these legs start spinning as you're talking and going. You want to know why I know that? Because what God dropped in my heart was the book of Revelation. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, you know it's the, the, the Apocrypha book or whatever it's called. It's the final prophecy about the end times and what's going to happen. And I got stuck in the books of, of chapter 2 and chapter 3. And in those chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's God telling John to write letters to seven different churches. And what stuck out to me so much more was out of the seven churches. One of them got told, hey, I know where you're at. And this is where I'm going to do and what I got against you. The next one, he said, I know what you're going through. This is what it is, and this is where I'm at. But five of the churches, you don't get it. Five of the churches, he opens it up and he says, I know your works. It's like in Revelations chapter 2, verse 2. He's talking to the church of, at, at, at Pegram. And he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patience, and your endurance, you, and how you cannot bear those who do evil, 
but I have tested those who have called themselves apostles and are not. And he keeps going on how he, he talks about how he, he's reproofed them and they, all these things. And he says, but I have this one thing against you. You've abandoned the first love. Then he goes on to the next church and he says at the church of Tyria, he says, I know your works. You love and your love and faith and your service and patience and endurance. But I have this against you. You tolerate the Jezebel woman. Then he talks to the church at Sardius and he says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of me. I don't know about you. I never want to hear any of those words. But at the church of Laodicea, he says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Oh, I wish you would be either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, I would spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy, buy from the gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves uh, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. See, God is telling the churches, I know your works, I'm measuring you out by what you're doing. You say you believe in me, you better start walking according to my ways and my statutes. That's why Kenny got up here this morning and he says it's better to be obedient than to offer sacrifices. But it all comes through the desire within our hearts to walk in a manner and a way that says, God, I trust you and I don't want my life to be about me any longer. Because what we have to have is the desire not to have James look at us and at the end times where he says, you foolish people, your faith apart from your works is useless. useless." If you'll stand with me this morning. I'm losing my voice this morning. I guess I've been a little bit more eccentric than I wanted to be sometimes. But here's what I have to say, church. We've been walking this road all this time. Some of us have been in the church for I don't know how many years, 20. Some of us have been in here one year. Some of us have been here first day. Here's what I want to encourage you. Where are you at? What is in your heart? I want you to start asking God to start showing you the acne all over your face as you look in that spiritual mirror. And he starts calling you out saying, hey, I love you. But it's time to get realigned in your priorities. It's time to be aligned where we trust God with everything that we have and everything that we do. And we're asking God, am I being obedient to your word unto everything until death? That means am I being faithful in my giving? That means am I being faithful in my time? That is meaning am I being faithful in my talents, my abilities? That means being faithful in just the simple obediences too of go here, go there, pray for that person there. 
Speak a nice word there. That means walking in a sense, in a manner where you're saying, God, I trust you more than me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like every other person in the Bible. I want to be like me that's greater than those. I don't want to have the faults that Abraham had. I don't want to have the faults that David had. I don't want to have the faults that Gideon had. I don't want to have the faults of everybody else. All I want to do is be me. Humbly put it on my knees. Saying, God, what's next? And I truly believe that's what we all need to have. We all want the encouragement of the word. But you're called uniquely and made differently than everybody else for a time such as this to see what you can do for him. It's time to put your faith into motion and into action and start putting the next foot forward. Can we pray this morning? Father God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for every person in this place, Lord. Lord, I know what my heart says and I know what my mind has been going on about, but God, I ask that you awaken up every spirit in this place, Lord, every person, and wake up their spirit within them, Lord, to become a little bit more eccentric for you, a little bit more hungry to give for you, to do for you, to do whatever it takes for you. Because God, right now, we need a church to be more alive than ever, not spiritually dead because they're walking only in faith alone. But they need to understand that, Lord, when you called your disciples, you didn't say, come and believe in me. You said, follow me. So, Lord, today we ask that you let us follow you all the days of our lives. Let us be obedient to go here or there to do whatever you ask every single day. And let us not desire to have to give sacrifices, but we want to walk in pure obedience in all that we do. Come on. Lord, touch each and every person in this building. Touch each and every person that's watching on the live stream. Touch Kelsey, Lord, right now as she's watching. Touch Sister Stephanie and Steve who are stuck at home, Lord. Touch, touch Brother Steve Yvonne at home, Lord, and keep moving on their bodies. Touch Melissa and Joe Calliman in Pittsburgh, God. God, touch each and every person in this place and empower them by your Spirit, Lord, to be obedient unto death. Trusting you in all that we have because without you we are nothing. But let us put our money where we our mouth is, Lord. And walk each and every single day according to your will and according to your way according to your word, and according to your love that you have for each and every one of us. Because you died on the cross and you rose from the dead for us, not to give us a simple, easy life, but to give us a new life and a new life, a new being, a new creature, Lord, that's within us. Touch us, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sister Amy, it's not easy to preach out of Brother James. It gets a little prickly sometimes. And what I want you to understand is if it gets a little prickly for you, I just want to encourage you to go read your word. Go ask. Don't believe every word I ever say. Go and seek out your word that God has given you through his word. Touch it. Read it. Measure it out. Do everything you have. And go and be the church. 
Go love your neighbor as yourself, as you love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. My brain's not working right now, Brother Chip. But go and be the church. We love you all until we see you again.